Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Everyone feeling good? It's Resurrection Sunday. Come on. It's going to be an awesome day. Hey, let me start off this Resurrection Sunday by asking you uh, just one simple question. When I say live life to the fullest, what is the first thing that pops in your mind? And I think there's a few different things. Maybe for you it looks something like this. Maybe when I say live life to the fullest, you'll get a, a picture in your mind that pops up something like that, right? A little, a little beach in Mexico, all right, all-inclusive resort, as much as you want to eat, right? Hanging out, getting waited on, that's, that's, man, that's living life to the full. Maybe if you're like my wife, my wife is like, you know, Mexico's great, but maybe my, if you're like my wife, it's something more like this, all right? It's a little picture of Greece, all right, sanatory, all right? You're going to go to Greece, eat some good Greek food, and hang out on the edge of a mountain and look at the ocean, all right? That's, that's more my wife's style. Uh, maybe for you, it looks a little more like this. Maybe you're like, you know what? The, the American dream. I want a white picket fence. I want a two-story house in the right neighborhood, and that to me is living a full life. Man, living life to the fullest. Maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks a little more like this, right? <laughs> you know, maybe you're an adventure seeker, right? Living life to the fullest looks like jumping out of a plane. I can't even picture what God thinks about us, okay? Like, listen, he's like, I put you in a period of time when you can be propelled by a jet through the air and y'all be jumping out of planes? I, I don't understand. I really, I just, I can't do it, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's what living life to the fullest looks like. To you, when you think about this idea of living a full life. But I mean, let's just like look into this a little bit further. When I describe that, that's something that all of us want, right? Like how many of you would say, I want to live life to the fullest? How many of you would say, I want a full life? Everybody, right? Like all of us do, but let's just explore this a little bit more. How would you define a full life? I, I, I'd suspect that if you ask 10 different people, you'd probably get 10 different answers as they began to kind of cobble together and piece together this idea of what a full life means to them. What, what really is a full life? How would we define it? And some of you may something uh, would say, you know, a full life is kind of what we just talked about, right? These experiences. Maybe it's uh, living it up and traveling the world and seeing the sights and, and going to all the places you've always wanted to go and you've always imagined. And you're like, this is living a full life as we travel the world and have these experiences. And some of you would say a full life is finally getting that big house and, and it's on the cul-de-sac, right? And kids are out playing in the yard and they got a Labrador named Marley. Right, and he's a good dog. He eats your shoes, but he's a good dog. And, and that to you is like a full life. And, and some of you would say, no, it's, it's chasing the dollar. It's building a business that I can sell for 5X revenue and sit back and not have to work for the next 15 to 20 years of my life. As I'm 55, I sell my company and I feel good. And I get to live the life that I always thought I wanted. And so it's chasing that dollar. And you'd say that is a full life. Life. And some of you are here today and you may have a full life in a different sense, a different way. Maybe you're here and you have a full life and I haven't seen you since Christmas and the reason is because you just got a full life. You've got a life full of kids' activities, sports, entertainment, 
nights out. Your schedule is packed. Your schedule is full. Your friends want to hang out. You're like, yeah, I got some time in like five and a half weeks. You know, it's like your schedule is packed. It's, it's full. It's full of days of long work as you go the extra mile trying to just get ahead in life. Maybe it's full of all these other things, but regardless, your life and your schedule is full, and, and it couldn't be more full. It couldn't be more full. Or maybe, maybe you're here because your life is full, but it's full of stress, full of anxiety, full of pain, full of struggle, And maybe that's why you walked into church this morning is because of those things that your life is full of. And maybe you came in here looking for something completely different than what we've even alluded to. Maybe you came in here looking for a life full of meaning, a life full of purpose, a life that is truly, truly full And if that's you, then friend, I have good news for you today because you came to the right place. And so we're going to turn with me in my Bible. I'm going to go to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I'd ask you to do the same. If you have a Bible, go there with me. If you've got a paper Bible, you can pull that out. If you've got a digital Bible, pull that thing out. Okay, go to Version Bible app, whatever Bible app you use. Go there, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And I'm going to read out of the CSB version today. This is one of my favorite versions of the Bible to study from. I love the CSB. Uh, But we're going to dive into God's word together today and study this text from the book of Philippians. And again, if you're looking for that uh, reference, it's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And just to give you a short background, uh, we will have uh, the verse on the screen as well. But just to give you a quick background of the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this particular letter to the church in Philippi. And so Paul is writing this, and just for context, Philippi was a very uh, strategic city. Um, It was a city uh, that when Rome conquered the Greeks, they had taken control of a lot of their cities, and and Philippi was one of those cities that had been uh, taken control of. It's actually named after Alexander the Great's father. Um, And so Rome took it over, and Rome allowed a lot of the soldiers, the warriors, these people who actually had even taken over the city to now inhabit this city. So it's full of these uh, patriotic nationalists, these zealots for Rome, these people that are like, oh, woo woo, you know, they're toting the flags, okay, that <laughs> says Rome on the back. Like that's, that's who they are. And it's part of a major trade route, this city, uh, that goes through there. And so Paul is making his way west and he's following along this trade route and he's telling this crazy story of a God that has come in the form of a man and redeemed humanity through Jesus Christ. Christ. And so he's sharing the gospel. And be, but because of Paul's faith and boldness, Paul actually ends up being thrown into prison. Okay? And so Paul ends up in prison. And this letter that we read from today, this, the book of Philippians, this letter uh, was a letter to a church. And it was written from the holding cell of a Philippian prison. And, and so now in this chapter, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter two specifically. Uh, and Paul is talking about in this chapter Christian humility. And he's urging the believers in Philippi to humble themselves. He's saying, hey, consider others as more important than yourself. And he's he's listing out all these things. He's saying, hey, do this. This is what Christian humility truly looks like. And so he tells them, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of conceit. Consider others as more important than yourselves. And then we land on our key text for the day in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Now, just so you understand, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, it is... is, um, it is the son of the book, if you will. 
The, the gravitational pull of everything else kind of rotates around this particular text. It is the foundation of the book of Philippians. And actually, I was reading some commentators actually believe this is one of the first early Christian hymns because of uh, just the way that this particular passage is put together. Uh, it, it has this level of, uh, there's almost stanzas, right? And so we see this kind of rhythmic uh, pattern to this passage. And so commentators believe this is one of the first early Christian hymns, and you see just the good theology uh, that is in this particular passage. And so, if, listen, if you understand the, the foundational truth that this passage teaches, I'm telling you, it will change your entire life. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, it says this, adopt the same attitude that as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I pray that your word would go forth with power. Father, your word promises us that it doesn't return void. It accomplishes what you want it to in the thing in which you sent us. This morning, would you would you accomplish what you want in us? Father, would your word, as we read the word, would your word read us? Would it, would it sharpen us? Would it make us look more like you? God, I pray that whatever's of me this morning would fall away. Whatever's born of your Holy Spirit, would it resonate in our hearts and minds? Would it change us, God, from the inside out? We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your spirit. And God, I pray this morning that you would just have your way. You are worthy. You are king of kings, lord of lords, prince of peace. And this morning, we celebrate you, risen king. We thank you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout amen. 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 Let me just explain this text for, for just a moment. That first verse we read says this, adopt the same attitude. Someone say same attitude. As that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, this very first verse highlights to us something uh, so powerful. It highlights the humility and love of Christ in such a powerful way. You see, Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man. It, it's this kind of, it's this doctrine, this idea of the hypostatic union, right? This, this fully God, fully man. He, he never set aside or laid down his divinity. No, he is fully God, but there was divine privileges that Jesus laid down. He didn't use his, his, his divinity to make his life on earth easier. Now, you might be thinking, why? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's bath time. He's a kid. Just stand on top of the water. I ain't going in. You know what I mean? Like, you think that it's like, why wouldn't you use these divine privileges to make your life easier? And this is the reason why. Because he needed to be able to sympathize with us. He wanted to sympathize with us. Jesus has felt your pain. Jesus has faced your temptation. Jesus has gone through these things. It's same things that you and I go through, yet without sin. It says this, and I want to read this to you in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through 
the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And so Jesus displays that this radical humility, and our text tells us that he chose, he literally chose, he, he voluntarily chose to empty himself, to empty himself by assuming the form of a servant. That word can also be translated slave. Taking on the likeness of humanity. This passage can sometimes trip people up because they're like, wait a second. He emptied, is you saying, no, no, no. Again, he is still fully God. He never stopped being God. In his entire earthly ministry, the entire time Jesus was here on the earth, the entire time he was, he never ceased to be God, never ceased to stop. Uh, 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 he's still fully God. He's still fully man. But, but, but. He set aside some of his heavenly glory. He set aside some of his divine privileges. Why? So that he could sympathize with us. He voluntarily refrained from using his divinity to make his life easier. And it wasn't that he couldn't. It's not like Jesus was unable to. He was not powerless. No, no. Jesus chose not to use his divinity. It was his choice. Let me, let me show you. It wasn't that he couldn't. It was he chose not to. Verse 8. Uh, in our text, it says, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. I want to be very clear. Hear, hear me today. Nails are not what kept Jesus on that cross. Love is what kept him on the cross. Love for you. That's what kept him on the cross. Because you, you do realize, he could have gotten down any time that he wanted to. In a moment, he could have came down off that cross. I can prove it to you. Matthew chapter 26. Look what Jesus said as he's being arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. It says this in Matthew 26, 53 through 54. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus volunteered. He volunteered to lay his life down so that every Old Testament prophecy that you have ever read about the coming Messiah could be fulfilled on this day. So that the law, the prophets, the justice systems of God that needed to be fulfilled would not just be fulfilled, but fulfilled forever. So that no more would we have to sacrifice lambs and animals, these things we see in the Old Testament, to satisfy the, 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 the wrath of God. No, no, Jesus satisfied it. He satisfied it for you. And so I want to be very clear here. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. It was not spilled. The idea that it spilled was to say that it was an accident. It was not an accident. His blood was shed for you. It was an intentional act of love for 
you. No one took his life from him. He laid his life down. It was him paying a debt that you and I could have never, ever paid. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his son Christ Jesus. And so if the wages is sin is death, like just think about that for a moment. So, so he breathes his last breath on the cross and he makes this declaration in John 19 of it is finished. It is finished. The words to tell us that it is paid in full. That's what he's saying. It means forever and ever your debt that you owed is paid in full. Now remember the death that you, or the debt that you owed was death. That that was the debt that you and I owed for our sin, for our mistakes, for our shortcomings, for our brokenness. We owed death. We deserve death. But God, we deserve hell. But God, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We jump back into our key text for the day in Philippians 2 and verses 9 through 11. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Richard Dawkins, his knee will bow. His tongue will confess. LeBron James, Kim Kardashian, name them. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The question will be, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And someday, every knee on the earth, in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, they will all confess. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? My friend JP, he posted this thought on Friday, and I spent the last couple days just pondering on this, thinking on this, and this is, this is what my friend posted. He said this, every sin is paid for either in hell or on the cross. No, no sin goes unpaid for. Every sin. Listen, the wage, the fixed regular payment of sin is death. Sin equals death. There is no in-between. There's no gray area. There's no, ah, no, sin equals death. Sin is missing the mark. And when you're serving a holy God who is perfect, there is no room for missing the mark. And that's why we were all on this pathway, this trajectory towards hell. Every sin is paid for either in hell or on the cross. And so follow this train of thought with me. Either you pay the penalty for your sin yourself and you do it in hell. Or you allow Jesus to pay the penalty for you so you can reside in heaven with him forever. That, that those are our two options. And I think if you, if you were given a choice, there's a pretty clear right answer. I know for me, there's, uh, there's one of those places I really don't want to go and one of those places I really want to go. 
And so when we think about this, Paul is telling us in this passage, he explains this idea of Christian humility and just how humble Jesus really was. Because think about this, in the ultimate act of humility, the God of the universe came and became a man and lived this perfect sinless life and he died for his creation. He died for broken people. He died for sinners that have missed the mark. People that are on their way to hell. He's, he said, no, no, no. I'm going to pay the price that they owe. I'm going to pay their debt and set them free. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He lived the life that we could have never lived, and he died a death that we deserved so we could get what he deserved, so we could get a full life. And so to wrap up today, I want to give three keys to living a full life from this text. And you can write these down, and I hope they help you and encourage you, but there's three keys to living a full life from this text. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, empty yourself. Empty yourself. We're told in this passage to adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus. The same thing we see. He, what did he do? He laid aside divine privileges, right? He stayed committed to doing the will of the Father. And he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so for us, for you and I, the only way for us to empty ourselves is to be full of God. That's, that's how we empty ourselves. It's not mindlessness. No, no, it's having the mind of Christ. That is what it looks like for a Christian to empty themselves. It's to be full of God. John 3.30, we see John the Baptist state this, he must increase and I must decrease. His wants, his will, his desires, his way, my will, my desires, my way. This is what it looks like. It's our choice. It's our pursuit of the things of the spirit that starves the flesh and the sin nature inside of us. It's our belief in Jesus and what he's done on the cross that forgives us of our sins. It's his spirit that renews our mind. It's his word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. To be empty of ourselves is to be full of God. Number two, write this down. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. To, to empty yourself of pride that you would have that maybe would stop you from being able to, to, to have a full relationship with Jesus. The, empty yourself of the pride that would stop you. That's what humbling yourself looks like. And so we're told to adopt the same attitude. And that attitude is one of humility, one of preferring others above ourselves, one of laying our lives down, considering others as more important than ourselves. And so like Jesus, Jesus positioned himself as a servant. And so for you and I, the, the, the communication to us is, hey, we are to position ourselves as servants. Scripture says to, to, to be a slave of Christ, to, to the, his will, the, the being obedient to his way, to his commands is the highest priority of our lives. That, that when we look at Christ and we look at the things that he says and the way that he lived, that we would model ourselves after that. That we would serve the people around us. That we would lay down our lives. That we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit or vanity. That we would consider others as more important than us. It, it takes humility to do this. 
It takes humility to serve people around you, to, to pour out your life for others. It takes humility to repent of your sin. To say, you know what, I have sinned and I am wrong and I cannot do this on my own. I can't earn my way to heaven. None of us can. We can do enough good works to make it there. You can try and try and try all you want, and all you're doing is toiling. It's like if I was trying to cut this piece of wood right here with a butter knife. <laughs> it's useless. So go to the guy with the chainsaw. You know what I'm saying? He does the work for you. You don't have to do anything but put your faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, listen, God has good works that he's planned for us to do. It's an overflow of our relationship with him. But good works, friends, is not what gets you into heaven. So let your life point to Jesus and leverage every moment, every conversation, and every opportunity for Christ. And the third thing is this. Remind yourself. Remind yourself of the empty tomb. This is the crux of our faith. Remind yourself of an empty tomb because friends, I'm here to tell you today that a full life, a full life is even possible simply because of an empty tomb. It's the only reason a full life is possible is because of an empty tomb. And listen, a full life is not a life living in luxury. A full life is not the big house on the corner. A full life is not traveling to Greece and France and you're going to Barcelona and you're living the high life. That's not the full life. A full life is not, you know, making an extra dollar, selling the company, building it up, sitting back and enjoying your retirement. That is not a full life. You have been sold a lie. A full life is not a life spent pursuing one-night stands and temporary pleasure. A one-night stand and alcohol and drugs and running after these things and thinking, man, I'm going to fulfill myself through chasing the pleasures of this world. The pleasures of this world will leave you broken, will leave you filled with shame. It'll leave you on in a constant pursuit for more because it will never be enough. Because every time you run to another high, to another relationship, to another thing that you think is going to fulfill you, and it doesn't, it's going to push you further. Until you get so depressed that you never find what you're looking for. That you feel like your life has no value. But friends, your life has so much value. God paid the highest price sending his son Jesus to die in your place to buy you to buy your freedom from anxiety from depression from hell from sin from death he bought you at a high price and he sets your value. Friends, a full life comes from knowing that your life here on earth is but a vapor. It, it is a vapor. It is momentary. Chasing these things for 75 years and then what? And then what? And then nothing. A full
full life, a full life comes from Christ. Your life here is a vapor. And all of us, we're on a fast track for hell. <laughs> that's, that's the direction. All of us are born into this world heading. We're on a trajectory that leads to eternal separation from God. But God, who is so rich in mercy because he loved us so much that even we were dead, we were dead because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us, despising the shame of the cross. And it was for the joy that was set before him, friends, and that joy was you. The joy is that you would know God, that you would be made right with him, that you would be restored to a right relationship. That is the joy that put Jesus on the cross. That is the love that held him there, that he didn't come down off that cross. He stayed and he hung on that cross till he took his last breath and said, it is finished forever. It is finished. He put death to death. And now you are alive in Christ if you will put your faith in him. A full life, friends, comes from Jesus. John 10.10 says this. Jesus speaking says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A full life comes from the reality of an empty tomb. It's a life that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and a life that's marked by the daily infilling of his grace. And so friends, this is why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because Jesus came and and died a sinner's death so he could pay a sinner's debt so that we could be set free. That's why we celebrate Easter, because he, he was not just put on the cross. He was buried in the ground. He was there for three days. And on the third day, he rose victorious over death, over hell, over sin, and over the grave. And he has ascended and seated at the right hand of God with all honor, power, and authority forever. It cannot be taken away. And so for you and I, we have this opportunity to say yes to this free gift of grace that's offered to you. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to do two things. I want to pray for those of you that want to know Jesus, and I want to take communion as a family. And so if you know you're not right with God this morning, you came in, maybe you accepted an invite, maybe you saw something on social media, our retargeting ads got you, all right? But you came in this morning, and you think that you might have just walked in here by happenstance. Maybe you just came with a family member and you're thinking, you're just trying to, man, I'm just trying to appease the church goer that wants me to come to church. I'm going to go, I'll eat my Easter meal. And you just thought you were coming to church just to check off some box. I'm letting you know that God has a plan for your life. That God knew you and in his divine purpose, you are here today sitting in this seat at Oasis City Church at 10481 West Fairview Ave. God has a plan for your life. And he's calling to you now to repent of your sin, to turn away from the worldly things that you've been chasing after, because I'm telling you, friend, they will not fulfill you. They will leave you broken. They will leave you thirsty. They will leave you dry. But this morning, I want to offer to you living water, refreshment for your soul. I want to offer to you 
a free gift that comes from God. God loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in your place. And today we're all celebrating that he has risen again. And the implications of the resurrection means that you, you can be alive too. You can live forever with him. And this is not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. I don't care how many bad things that you have done. You, you may have done some of the worst things. But my Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has been made new. If you want to be made new today, you want to turn away from your sins and turn towards Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment to say, yes, that's me. And I would like to know who I'm praying for. So with every head bowed and every eye closed across the room, if that's you, you know you're not right with God. You want to put your faith in Jesus. You want to repent of your sin and turn towards Christ today and start a relationship with him. If that's you, on the count of three, if the Holy Spirit stirs something in your heart, that's God, that's not you, that's the Holy Spirit. On the count of three, put your hand up, say, that's me. One, two, three. You can put your hand up nice and high. See you in the middle, in the back. That's awesome. See you on the left. Saw you in the left as well. On the right, in the front. It's awesome. See you in the back. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer together. Nothing special or magical about this prayer. Just simply a heart declaration saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If that's you, let's all pray. Actually, let's pray as a church. Everyone's pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, today I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you. And Father, I thank you for forgiving me, for setting me free. I believe you died for me and you rose again for me. Take my life from this day forward and do with it whatever you want to do in Jesus' name. Come on, can we celebrate that? That's awesome. Come on, that's so good. We're gonna do one more thing and, and we're gonna take communion. So if you walked in, you should have gotten a communion cup. If you still need one, raise your hand. But this is something that we as believers participate in. And if you're not a believer in Jesus yet, then I'll encourage you just to refrain. This is a moment where we're going to be uh, participating as a, as a family of believers, reflecting on what Christ has done for us. And this is a, a, a special uh, element of our faith. This is something that's important to us as we remember and look back. Uh, but if you need uh, one of those, you can raise your hand. I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, it says this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so if you would, would you just open that bread? Let's open it together. Grab that little wafer. And when we, as believers, we take this bread and, and we look at it and, and we just reflect we reflect on what Jesus has done. That when he went to the cross, he went there for you and he went there for me. This is a testimony of the broken body of Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquity. He was pierced for our rebellion. He wore a crown of thorns on his head for you.
He took lashings down his back for your sin, for my sin. And sometimes we have to just really reflect and get personal because we can say sin and it's, it's one of those things where we're like, man, what does it look like? But think back, that terrible thing you did, that one Friday night. Maybe it's the simple things that you do too often. The thing that you're like, man, I never told anybody that. He died for that too. So you could be forgiven and set free, not only from the consequences, but from the shame of that. He offers to us forgiveness. And as we break this bread and we think about the broken body, the nails through his hands, as we think about the crown of thorns, as we think about the lashes, the cat of nine tails that tore up his flesh, it was for you. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that you took what we deserved for our sin, for our brokenness, for our rebellion. Father, convict our hearts. Help us to choose to not be entertained by the things that you died for. We thank you for your broken body. Let's take the bread together. If you would open the cup. Friends, 2,000 years ago, a payment was made for your healing and for your forgiveness. And blood was shed on the cross. It was the blood that was shed that sets you free. It's the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word of your life. It's the blood of Jesus that the Bible says that it's we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, by our story of what God has done. This is how we overcome. Father, thank you that your blood was shed for us. Take 60 seconds right now. If you have anyone that comes to mind that you're not right with, anyone you need to forgive, any grudges you're holding on to, any offense, before you partake of this cup, get your heart right. Let it go. Let, let the pain, the anger, the frustration, release it to Jesus. Let it go. Take a moment, pray for your family. Pray for the kids. God, we even right now, we pray for the kids' church. Let, let their hearts be turned towards you, God. May this generation know you. Help us, that our parents, God, to raise our kids in the way in which they should go. If there's anyone that you know that's lost in your family, pray for them now. God, turn their hearts towards you. Turn their affection towards you, God. Soften a hard heart. Soften hard hearts. Lord, we thank you that your blood was shed on the cross for us. And Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. Let's take the cup together.
Father God, we thank you this morning that you're near. We thank you that you are risen. Lord, we celebrate together that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we, we stand, God, before you and just declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. God, we declare that you are King. And we thank you that because you live, we live. This morning, we remember all that you've done. Father, let us never, ever forget what you have done. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody shout amen this morning. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.